Good morning, church. This is my church family. It is good to see you, and it is good to be with you. Um, can I tell you something that I love about this place? Let me tell you something that I love. Um, the intergenerational part of this church is one of the things that I love. And what that leads to sometimes is a little messy. And I like a little messy. Family's a little messy. I mean, you just heard about tradition here for Christmas, and sometimes it gets a little messy, right? But one of the things that's going to happen is if we follow the example of Christ and go, we welcome the little children. Sometimes things go a little different than you expect, and I love that. I love uh, that we had someone come join us on stage, put her little tiny hands together, and pray while we prayed. Now, I'm not saying everybody should do that, <laughs> but I'm saying I love the idea that that's who we are and that that's what happens here. And so we want you to know that if you're a guest with us and you're a family with little kids, we welcome you here. We are excited to have a little bit of noise and a little bit of goldfish cracker on the floor and a little bit of uh, crying and, and that sort of thing because that, that's life. That is life to a family. So we're just, we're just glad you're here. I love that about this place. Um, let me tell you something else I love about this place. A tradition that started a long time ago is we recognize uh, the existence of the greater kingdom of God in this town. Uh, I got to go this last week on that Christmas walk downtown where we went to uh, five different churches and hear some different pastors speak, and we got to sing together. And I want to tell you, it was awesome. It was great. It was this big group of people walking around and going and listening uh, in, in all these different traditions, but all one message is that Christ came into the world. And because Christ came into the world, everything changed. Everything changed. And we got to sing together, and we got to walk together, and we got to listen together. And I keep thinking about the, the prayer that Jesus said before he went to the cross about unity. You know, that he asked his Father that they would be one as you and I are one. And I'm thinking about us walking together and worshiping together and lifting up uh, the name of God together and the name of Jesus together. And I go, that's got to make Christ smile. The fulfillment, that we could be part of the fulfillment of a prayer he said actually coming true in some way, I think is such a great thing. Uh, in addition to that, the last place that we stopped was the First Baptist Church. And I got to meet their new pastor who's only been here a few weeks, which is awesome because that makes me not the newest guy in town anymore. <laughs> now I'm a veteran. So I got to kind of walk up to him, you know, and go, well, you know, what do you need to know? And how can I show you around? And... Um, his name is Joey, and his wife is Michelle Tombrella. And they're brand new here. They've got little kids, and they've only been here a few weeks. And so I told him, I'll be praying for you. You know, he's moving into temporary housing, and he's trying to figure out how all of that will work. And I was like, brother, I will be praying for you and your family. <laughs> so let's stop, and let's pray right now, if that's all right. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for how big it is. I thank you for the way that it moves in this town. Um, Lord, I thank you that... Uh, People who call you Savior and Lord and King gather together and walk uh, the streets of this town, uh, that we join together in different tradition, but all with one Lord, that we sing songs of praises to you. We remember your love and how it came in the form of the flesh in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm grateful for the kingdom here in this place. God, I ask that you would bless uh, the Tombrella family. Joey and Michelle and their children right now as they're new here to this area, that you would move powerfully through them. Uh, that Joey and, and uh, uh, his sermons and his speaking would be filled with humility and they'd be filled with 
truth and with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that people would come to know you through the words that he says and through the things that they do. Bless that church. And uh, Lord, we ask that you give them peace, but you give them confidence to boldly speak the gospel. We ask that for all of us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Advent, and this week, as you can see, it's about love. And that's an important one because that's the motor that drives everything else. You know, we've lit the candle for peace, and we lit the candle for hope, and then next week we'll be talking about joy. But the motor, the thing that drives all of this, that made all of this happen, it's love. And you start talking about that, and you realize that that word is so broad, and it means so many different things to different people. And especially in our world, it is really difficult to define what love is. As a matter of fact, as we started talking just in staff meeting this past week, I mentioned to him that we're going to be talking about love. And he goes, tell me some ways that you define it. We actually got into a discussion back and forth about how you sometimes see somebody, and as you leave, you go, love you, bye. And whether or not, does that make you feel more loved or does it not? And we got into this discussion of, of some folks going, well, hey, said, you know, just to say love you by every time doesn't actually mean anything. It's the actions behind that. Somebody goes, no, I love hearing it all the time. I always want to hear love you, and that's what matters. And so it turned into this word versus action versus deed and all of these things. You start realizing how difficult it is for us to define really what love is. That's why today's scripture, I think, is so important because we live in a world that defines it in so many different ways. It defines it as infatuation. It defines it in, in such physical terms so often, uh, in sexual terms. As a matter of fact, when I went and even looked it up, I was trying to find just a definition uh, on the Internet. And one of the ones that came out that was a definition just basically said it's just more than liking. It's like, man, that's it? What a, what a small, insignificant definition for how to define something that's so big, and especially the way that we who are followers of Christ see it. That's why I love the scripture that we have today from John, is that he gets into this, and as you heard what, what Casey read, is, is John, who by the way, by this time is old John. This is, this, is, this is John in his later years writing these letters, right? This is John, the disciple, who calls himself the beloved disciple, right? The one who's loved by Christ, who, who knows what love is, who walked with Jesus during this time. And after looking at this for decades, now is writing these letters. And he says, you want, you want a definition? I'll, I'll give you a definition. I mean, this is, this is somebody who looks back on, when I was a teenager, I walked with Jesus and I saw the things that he did. And now, after years and years of reflection, you want a definition? I'll give you a definition of lo what love is. And it's not just a cold definition, but it's more than that. If I can, I'm going to read uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It's a little more context uh, than, than what Casey had read for us, but he read the most important part. But we're going to read this again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. How many of y'all were singing that in your head right then? You were just singing that as it went through? It's hard not to, right? Here's the important part. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, 
But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I'm a guy who loves clarity. I love clarity. I like for somebody to talk straight and tell me how it is. That's one of the reasons that I love this. I picture an older man who's lived a long life coming and going, you want a definition? I'll give you a definition. You want to know what love is? I'm going to tell you what love is. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. You want a definition of love? It's God. You want to know who God is? He's love. That's what it is. You want to know what it looks like? This is what it looks like. He sent his son into the world so that we can live. That's what it looks like. You want to know what it is? This is love, he says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. I think it's really important that he goes, this is love. And then the first thing he starts with is a negative. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's important to put in there. Because you need to understand that what he's saying is this, is this is love. He did this whether you loved him or not. When you didn't love him, when you were enemies of God, this is what he did. That's what love is, and that's what it looks like. What's neat about 1 John in this letter is not just that he defines it for us, but John also gives us kind of an appropriate reaction. Here's what your reaction to this is supposed to be. Your reaction to the love of God. And he actually does that in the chapter before, in 1 John chapter 3. Because at this point, what's happening is John's making this argument. I want you to know that this letter is a letter to Christians. And somebody's come into the church and they're questioning whether or not Jesus was the actual incarnation of God. And they're going, well, he was a baby and he was born and he was good to you. But it wasn't God. That's not what that, so that's where the question's coming in. And John is trying to disprove what they're saying and trying to prove that Jesus is. And he's talking about how Jesus is light and Jesus is love. And if you know the Father, then you know the Son. And then in the middle of this, in the beginning of chapter 3, he bursts into this, it's kind of this cry. I don't know if it's supposed to be a song or what, but in the midst of making a point, this is what he says in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. See? You see what great love the Father has lavished on us? That we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. I love that. Just starting that chapter off. See? Do you see, again, a guy who walked with Jesus, who knows what it's like to listen to him talk and to listen to him cry and to listen to him laugh, and what his voice sounds like is going, do you see the love that is lavished upon us? I really love it in the, in the old King James Version. I don't always use the King James Version for a lot of things, but I love it in the King James Version. This is what that first verse says. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Behold, what manner. That's strong language. Did you know that? That's not a word we use much anymore. Behold. We don't use that word a lot. No, it's not a lot of you that are walking around going, behold, my new Trans Am that I bought or something like that. It's not a word that we use much. I want to bring it back. I want to bring that and namby-pamby. I think that's another word that has been used that we need to bring back. There's some of these old words that really need to be brought back for us to be used again. Behold is one of them. It, because there's so much in it, it's more than just, hey, look, or watch this. It, it's saying, 
Actually, I want you to see. Not just look, but do you see? Do you see? It's this incredulous cry. I'm amazed at this. Behold it. Look at it. Observe it. It's remarkable. Look at this. Soak it in. Gaze on it and be amazed. It, it's like when we're sitting there going, well, would you look at that? That's remarkable. And it's more than just look. The way that he says it in that King James Version is, look at what manner. Behold the manner with which he loves us. Look at how he does it. Do you see what kind of love it is? Do you see how he did it? Do you see what sort of love we're talking about? Behold, do you see what it means? Can you ponder the significance of what he's done here? Can you see the implications of it? And even more than just see, there's this tactile part of behold that I love. It's like this, that you can almost touch it. He's like, hey, bear witness. Behold this love. Bear witness to it. Experience it. Taste it. Touch it. Be in awe of what you're seeing. Be changed by something so big. Behold the manner with which he loves us. Look at the way he does it. It's incredible. Behold what it looks like in the flesh. It's a strong word. Strong word, behold. We don't use it enough in our world, and there's probably a few reasons for that. Is Most of the time, there's not things that we see that are worth the, whole, the word behold. I know in my family, there's a running joke with my father that started years ago. And this is the way it works. My mom will be fixing Christmas dinner for us, and there's turkey, and there's dressing, and there's the green bean casserole with the little onions on top of it, and there's all of these other things that she's been slaving on. And at some point, she will say, Mike, would you check the rolls in the oven? And he'll open it up, and he'll go, yeah, the rolls look like they're done, and so he'll pull them out and put them on the, the oven. Then when it's time for dinner, this is what he does. Behold, I have made lunch. <laughs> no joke. Every year, every year, if he does that much, he makes this huge grand deal about it. I have made dinner. And he go, you took the rolls out of the oven, man. <laughs> or, you know, you stirred the crumbs into the dressing. You didn't do this. And that word, behold, I think, I don't think that means what you think that means. <laughs> right? It's a big word. And it requires something huge. And that's not what he's using it for. And when you start talking about love in our world, you start realizing that there's not a lot of it in our culture when you look at love that would make you go, behold, look at it. Be in awe of it, right? I mean, that word love, we, we make a game show out of it in our culture, right? I mean, you know how many reality TV shows are about love? That we will put some people on an island or we'll put some people in a mansion and go, oh, this is about love, right? But that's not worth saying, behold. No one looks at the bachelor or the bachelorette and says, behold, what manner of love to see. You don't. I'm not knocking it if you watch it. I get it. You watch a little bachelor, you watch a little bachelorette. I had, used to have a real hard time with it when my daughters would watch that. But I want to let you know, this is what I finally come to is it's like professional wrestling for romantics. <laughs> right? Like, you know it's fake and it's scripted. And that's okay. It's still kind of fun. It's like watching professional wrestling, right? 
yeah, I know it's not real. I know the whole thing is scripted. I know this isn't the real stuff, but it's still kind of fun. Yeah, all right, as long as you keep that in mind. Professional wrestling for romantics. But you look at that and you realize that this idea that will throw some people together and then within just a few days you start hearing people talk about it and use the word love. I think I may love her. I think I may love him. Really? Why? Because he's on TV? Maybe that's why? Nobody looks and says, Behold, what manner of love is this that has no cost at all and everything to gain? Nobody does that. Nobody looks and goes, Behold, what manner of love is this that gets you on TV so that you might become famous someday? It's not worth the word behold. Behold, what manner of love is this that it's a competition for a flower? It's not really worth the word behold. It's not really worth being inspired and filled with awe when you look at that. We realize that in a lot of ways that we talk about the word love in our world. It's not about emotions. It's not about butterflies. You don't say, behold, look at the butterflies that you get when you look at somebody. Behold my emotions and the way that I feel and my infatuation. And the reason is because for the most part, it's transactional love. And transactional love is not worth beholding. It's just not worth looking at in that way. It's not worth being in awe of. It's not worth pondering the significance. It's not that big a deal. That's why when you look at something, somebody gets married and you go, and they had this prenuptial agreement, and you look at this and go, hey, I love you with everything that I have, but there's an exit strategy here in case I need it. Nobody goes, behold, look, a contract that gets you out of this with what you brought in. It's not the same thing. When John mentions it and when he talks about it, that's why he mentions that this is not that you loved him, it's that he loved you. This is not a transactional thing. Jesus didn't come because you loved him. He didn't give a sacrifice because you loved him. He came when you didn't. That's what love is. There's a cost to it. And that's what this cost is. And it wasn't just his death. It was him entering into this. You know, I loved listening to the Robertsons talk this morning and talk about what love is in their family with tradition is you show up. You come to Christmas. If it takes you driving, then you drive. If you have to get everybody there, then you get everybody there. Why? Because entering into this is what matters. That's the ultimate thing of what happened in the incarnation is Jesus going, I'm not just sending salvation. I'm coming and I'm bringing it with me. I'm going to come enter into your world and I will bring peace and I will bring joy and I'll bring salvation and I'll bring hope and I will show you what love is in such a way that you have never seen it before. You will be able to bear witness to it and you will experience it and you'll be amazed. And you know, if you look through Scripture, I kind of think that what you see most of the time is God spending all of Scripture going, I desperately want you to experience and to know how much I love you. And, and, and you can almost feel God going, how do I show you? How do I show you how much you are loved? How do I show you that? You know, and, and I think that's one of the most important things when we start reading about Scripture here is it's, it's more than just to hear that I love you, but I want you to see it and I want you to experience it, right? You know that difference is if somebody says something, I can tell you a story and, or, or tell you something, and that's one thing. But if I show you a picture, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. So that's even more important, right? 
So like, for instance, I can tell you that I married way outside of my league. I can tell you that when my wife and I got married, it looked like a model marrying a 12-year-old boy who had never seen a razor in his life because I looked like I was a little kid. Now, I can tell you that. But if I were to show it to you, right there on the picture, that's what it looked like. Okay? Oh, look at that. Yeah. It looked like a kid. It's a different thing to see it, right? So there's, there's me telling you something, and then there's me showing you something. And you can picture that with what God does with this, right? It's not just for him to say it because he says, my love and... You got to take that off. I've lost them. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's listening to me anymore. They're looking and going, how in the world <laughs> did she end up with him? I see it on your faces. Boy. Talk about losing all of you completely. I'm seeing a lot of this. Let's get back to talking about God here. This is not about me. <laughs> right? You have God doing this through the things that he says. When he says, look, my love endures forever. My love for you will never stop. I'm going to remove your sin from you. I will take it away. And I'll take it as far as the east is from the west. And those are great words, and that's wonderful. But even more than those words, then he gives us this picture, right? That's worth a thousand words. And he says, I'm going to give you this Passover meal so that you can see what it looks like. And I'm going to show you the sacrificial system so that you get a glimpse and a picture of what it looks like in the way that I love you and what I'm willing to do. And I give you this idea of a scapegoat, and here's what it looks like to put sins on something and then have it driven away so that I can give you this picture. But for you to behold it in the flesh is a whole different thing. For you to see it right there when Christ came and to go, this is what it looks like to be lived out in every single way. This is what love looks like. It's walking, and it's talking, and it's moving, and it's sacrificing. And this is what it looks like. One of my favorite places that the word behold is also used, it's the same word, is in John 11 when it talks about uh, Jesus going to see Lazarus at his tomb. And, you know, Jesus doesn't come when Lazarus gets sick and then Lazarus ends up dying and then his sisters Mary and Martha are brokenhearted. And then he comes and he comes to the tomb and Jesus knows what's about to happen, but he still approaches the tomb and he begins to weep. He comes into their life and he comes to their home and he goes right to the tomb and he begins to weep. And then do you remember what the witnesses said? They look at him and they go, Behold, Look at how he loved him. Look at it. It's this, do you see? Here it is in the flesh. We know that he loved him because he said he loved him. And we know that he loved him because he came. But look, here he is, right here with the brokenhearted. And what he's saying is, what they're saying is, this is what it looks like in the flesh. To be loved. To see love right here in the flesh. And in particular, this scripture talks about that I want you to understand this. I want you to behold it. I want you to see it. I want you to experience it. I want you to taste it. Why? Because this is what it took for us to become his children. And that's what we are. That's the next thing. For us to become his children, and that's what we are. Because this is what he did. Behold how he loves so that we could be his children. 
Do you see how big the cost is? You behold it? Are you able to really see it and understand? Do you see how deep the desire is for us to belong to him? Are you able to see it in the flesh when that's what he gave for us to become his children? Then it changes how we see ourselves and it changes our identity. And you start realizing when you really can behold the love that he has and the sacrifice he made, then you go, oh, that's who I am. I'm a child of the king. That's what it looks like. There's not a lot of, uh, of times that I've been able to experience something and see something where I go, oh, behold, look at that love. That's pretty amazing. But there's been a few times. And I want to tell you about one of them right now. I had this, it was one of the most remarkable lunches that I've ever had in my life. I went to lunch with a friend from church up in Austin. And it's in the way that God does his thing, it's actually, there's a connection here. It's, uh, it's James and Brenda McDonald's son, Danny. Danny McDonald. And we went to lunch. And Danny is telling me the story of he and his wife, Christy, and what they were doing. And if you don't know, uh, Danny and Christy had a son, and then they had a daughter, and their daughter's name was Bailey. And I remember that really well, because our oldest daughter's name is Bailey. And he had a daughter named Bailey, and she had Down syndrome. And she's just the sweetest, cutest little thing that you've ever seen in your life, full of life. And Danny and Christy had realized that while it's a challenging thing being parents, they're really good at it. They kind of have this gift for caring for this little girl. And through that, they decided that what they wanted to do was they wanted to find another little girl who had Down syndrome that they could care for, who's the same age. And they said, so we began to look. And in particular, they began to look over in Eastern Europe in the old Soviet blocks. Because young ladies and young men who have those challenges weren't often given a chance to even exist. And so they began to look. And they began to look for who they would adopt. And I'm sitting and I'm talking to Danny. And he said, you know, we were looking online at these websites. And they had these pictures of these little girls. And he said, and then we saw one, and we saw this picture, and I knew right then, and Christy did too, that's our daughter. It's this picture right here. He said, that's her. That's our daughter. And, and then he said, and so what we've decided to do is we're going to do whatever it takes to go over to Eastern Europe, and we're going to get her, and we're going to bring her back home. We're going to go get her. And then he started talking about how we're talking about what we may need to sell and what we have to give up because it's going to cost like $40,000 to go get her. And so we're, we're looking at selling things and sacrificing things. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this guy who's telling me this story about this little girl on the other side of the world who has no idea that there's a couple going, you're mine, you belong to me, and I'm coming to get you, and I'll pay whatever cost that there is for me to come get you. She doesn't even know that's what love is. Not that she loved him first and them first, but that they're willing to say, whatever it takes, I'm going to go get her, and I'm going to bring her home, and I'm going to make her our child, and I'm going to give her my name, and I'm going to give her an inheritance, and she's going to belong to us, and she will be ours. And we will go enter into her country, and we will go enter into the orphanage, and we're going to get her. And we're going to make her ours. And everything will change for her when we enter into that. 
When we come in the flesh and we grab her and we take her home and we give her our name, nothing will ever be the same again. That's worth going, behold. Behold that love. Right? Do you see it? Behold that manner of love that causes you to do that. And, of course, in keeping with the idea of arriving in the flesh, there's Danny and Abby right there. You want to wave, Danny? There's Abby and Danny right there. I don't know if a child can ever know how much love that comes from a parent. And in the same way, that's why we ponder and we look and we look at the manner in which our Heavenly Father loved us. And we dwell on it. Why? Because I don't know if we'll ever be able to find the deepest part of that. How deep that goes. And how big a love that is. And then here's the other part. We're supposed to love each other like that. Because that's what he says in that scripture. If you remember, he starts off with going, hey, you love each other. You go, how do we do that? Well, you know, want to know what love looks like? This is what it looks like. You sacrifice. That's what it looks like. You enter into each other's lives. You pay a price. And that's what it should look like. And not only that, but since he loved you this way, this is the way you're supposed to love each other. There's a cause and effect here. When you start to understand and when you are able to behold the love that your Heavenly Father has for you so that you can be His children, what He did to make us His children, when you really behold it, when you experience it, when you taste it, when you grab it, when you hold it, then you'll be able to understand how we're supposed to love each other. And that's what we're supposed to do. The rest of the world ought to look at us and go, behold how the manner with which they love one another. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's different than anything I've ever seen. It's completely different. It's amazing. It's incredulous. They ought to look at us and say, behold, that's what it looks like for us to love one another. That's why we do communion together, right? We're going to do that here in just a little bit. Every time we get to gather together and we take the cup and we take the bread, this is us saying, behold, this is what love looks like. That's why we get to do that together. I'm thrilled that you're going to be around a table here in a little bit when you get to do communion. For those of you that are around the table or those, man, don't forget to look at one another. We love each other in this amazing way because of the way that we've been loved. Behold the love of God in the flesh. Behold the love that caused him to enter our world. It caused him to touch the leper that had him go to the tomb of Lazarus that had him weep with two sisters. Behold the love that went to the well to talk, and I mean to really talk with the Samaritan woman and to let her know how important she was. The love that went to the house of tax collectors that entered into their homes. Behold the love that was going to the cross and then went to the tomb and overcame death. Behold that love and be free experience it and ponder it and trust him. Behold that love and be changed. Be a completely different person. Ponder that, experience that, behold that, and then love each other in the same way. That's our prayer. As I close out today, if you would, I'd ask you to stand for a moment. We're going to read a scripture together, and then I'll close out with a prayer.
This is the thing I want you to remember. The way that your heavenly father loves you is in a lot the same way that a father or a mother loves a child. I don't know about you, but when we had little kids, I remember seeing them uh, asleep in the crib. And of course, those are those moments, right, when they're quiet and they're asleep, that you get that soft heart. Maybe there was a song that you sang. Maybe there was something where you just, your heart was full. Zephaniah 3.17 explains that love for us. So let's read that together, if you would. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for what a big deal it is. We thank you that we could behold it in the flesh in Christ, in the way that he came and lived his life, in the way that he gave it up for us, and that there's an empty tomb that shows us the power behind that love. And Lord, we are so grateful to be your children because that is what we are. We belong to you. And we're grateful that you don't just love us because you're good at loving broken things, but that you delight in us and that you rejoice over us with singing. Lord, help us to love one another in that same way. Let us to ponder the love that you have for us and to be changed and let the world see the way that we love each other and know that you're real. And it's through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.